Welcome to MuggleCast, episode 544. Happy New Year. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. We are recording at the start of the new year. Today's January 2nd, and we're gathered here today because the Harry Potter reunion special was released on HBO Max at 3 a.m. Eastern. Oh. We thought it was going to be midnight Eastern Uh. (laughs) because that's what the HBO Max Twitter account told us. Well, they said at the stroke of midnight, it would be available. And everybody reads that to mean Eastern. You know, normally that's what you're talking about. But no, it was midnight Pacific time. So... I don't uh, think any of us stayed up overnight to watch it, right? No. no. <laughs> they were talking about Burbank time, after all. I don't even think I made it till midnight Pacific time, and I live over here. <sighs> yeah, so we all watched it during the day, and that's the focus of today's episode. Of course, everybody everybody was very excited about this. We have a lot of notes to get through today, <laughs> yeah. uh, but we're going to start with some initial thoughts, and then we will get into the nitty gritty. I'll start off. I thought there was a lot to love. I was smiling throughout. I think we all teared up a few times. Um, They really had some powerful moments. I do think, jumping into my main criticism straight away, it did start off a little disjointed, I felt. Maybe it's because I had different expectations for what the reunion was going to be, but it felt to me like they didn't know how to kick off the reunion. So it kind of took a few minutes to understand what direction this reunion was going to be. And it very, very much did feel like a a, kind of like a behind the scenes documentary. And I think part of the reason it felt disjointed at the beginning was because they couldn't give us an actual physical reunion. And we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. It seems like, and now it's more clear, they couldn't get the trio physically together. They used some special effects magic to make it look like they were together, but there was never that group hug. Emma and Rupert hugged, so clearly they were together at some point, but there was never that group hug. So I feel like they weren't able to really kick off the reunion how we would expect everybody running into the Great Hall and kissing and hugging and crying because they couldn't get them all together. And that's why it started off disjointed. I thought that it was overall um, a really nice nostalgic trip down memory lane. Um, if I'm going to dive directly into a criticism, it's a loving criticism. Um, but I do think the special could have benefited from having a dedicated host, to your point, Andrew, um, for at least part of it, because they really had to depend on connecting some threads between the different interviews to maintain a narrative feel throughout. Like they would kind of use one person talking about a particular scene or a particular actor as a hook to then jump into an interview with that actor or an interview about that thing. Um, I understand the challenges that come with COVID and everything. So I I get why it had to go that way. That said, I thought there were some really heartfelt moments between cast members, especially the trio, even though they weren't all together in person. Um, I don't think that hardcore Harry Potter fans are going to find much new information here, but it really does serve as this really nice, warm reminder of why Harry Potter has been and continues to be so special for us. Overall, uh, it was great to see the cast back together and reminiscing about their days working on Harry Potter, similar to what both you and Laura said uh, there were a number of funny and heartfelt moments, and I even learned a few things I didn't know before. I actually expected there to be a little bit more of a focus on Sorcerer's Stone, just yes. given that it was the 20th anniversary of that film. 
Uh, at times, it felt like this was less of a reunion and more of an extended special edition uh, that recapped all the films. I really wasn't expecting them to go through every single film yeah. the way that they did. <laughs> With like chapter um, headers and everything about this. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. To Laura's point, the sit-downs felt limiting at times, but I think maybe that had something to do with COVID. Um, just thinking about like it was Gary Oldman and Daniel Radcliffe by themselves. It was Emma Watson and Robbie Coltrane by themselves. And a number of the actors like Ray Fiennes and Jason Isaacs seemed to not even be on location. There was never a moment where you had the whole cast that we saw at Leavesden together for one segment. So I just thought it was a missed opportunity not to do any fun segments, not to do any scene reenactments. Oh. I know in previous episodes we talked about, oh, they should hire us from a marketing standpoint <laughs> to come up with some creative <laughs> ideas on what they can do at this reunion. And I agree. I, but overall, it was a very nice walk down memory lane. I definitely teared up. I definitely laughed. So overall, it was nice. That's a good point about like scene reenactments. Again, comparing it back to like the, the Friends special um the friends reunion special and like what worked well for them and didn't do it yeah in addition to what you guys have beautifully said i'll only add that i was pleased very much by the amount of never before seen footage from behind the scenes and it was never like here's exclusive clips that were never before seen but almost to what laura was saying about the how they kind of rounded out these little interviews was with relevant footage from either mostly from when they were very young and Chris Columbus was like telling Rupert how to hold his wand more loosely or talking, you know, to any of the kids about how to direct. Uh, He really like seeing him in action and, you know, really benefited. I think the interview that when he was talking about it with, Dan Radcliffe. So I was very pleased with the behind the scenes. And and I would even say that uh, I got what I wanted in terms of outtakes in a certain way. You know, there, there, a lot of that is very funny stuff with the kids because of the, the energy that was really well touched on in this, in this doc. So I would say I was very pleased uh, overall. And I do think that like, I, I do agree with the kind of, well, I'm sure we'll get into this, but like, I wish it had focused probably only on movie one um, since that's the film that's turning 20, but I don't know how likely it is that they would have gotten everybody back every 20th anniversary. So every year for for the (laughs) next 10 years, you know, so it's kind of like they shot, shot their shot and uh, we're just like, well, it's been 20 years for one of the films. Let's do the whole retrospect. So, you know, for what it is, you can really tell both that they had fun making these movies and you can tell they're enduring like real life fondness for one another, the actors. And that is everything I would ever want out of a special. Agreed. To the point that a couple of us have been making about getting everybody together. I think one of the things that surprised me most was when you look at the trailer for this reunion, the delayed trailer for this reunion, um, <laughs> you Never saw forget. so many shots of the cast actually together in the Great Hall. Yeah. and. It gave the impression to me that that's where a lot of the the reunion was going to take place. But really, they used nothing from the Great Hall. And I think that's really what everybody was looking for here, to kind of be a fly on the wall in the Great Hall as all these people are getting back together. And you hear all these stories. And again, the hugs, the kisses, the tears face to face. I mean, some of the greatest moments in this documentary was when people were physically together. 
Dan and uh, Gary, Dan and Helena Bonham Carter. Like, woo, she never yeah, changes. I don't know, huh? I don't know oh if I want to be on a fly on a wall in the whole banquet scene. What else will we learn about secret crushes and, and love letters written? Uh, but there's definitely that footage. This is something that I think I, I definitely want to keep harping back on. It's like, because it was in the trailer, they're all seated at tables. It's very nicely done together. There's clearly, that really happened. They were really together in person. It's not like they would CGI people at a banquet table for the trailer alone. People really got together. There was a whole huge group. The documentary itself is absent of that. Mm -hmm. So there was footage that was cut. I think there was probably more Ian Hart in this thing originally. Ian Hart, who plays Quirrell. Yeah, <laughs> I was he appeared most forward to him. Most at... forward. <laughs> he appeared at the very, very end, like five seconds, blink and you'll miss yeah, it. One line. I feel bad. Yeah. Well, you're right. I Here's the other thing I was thinking about while watching this. They probably shot so many interviews, probably at least an hour with each person. Yeah. I do not envy the team who had to cut all of that down, especially over the holidays, because they only shot this a little over a month ago. Like that must have been a huge task. And really, would we be surprised if they did an extended edition of this special Do at it. some point? Release the Snyder Cut of Harry Potter <laughs> oh Reunion God. Special. The Quirrell Cut. <laughs> Look, this is the season of eight-hour-long documentaries. The Beatles get back. Give us Harry Potter, Hogwarts, get back. Mm -hmm. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, I, I think in some ways it, it just lacked a little bit of creativity. And what I mean by that is you could have had, for the most part, all of the defense against the dark arts professors sit down for a segment, ah, right? That would have been cool. Now, many of them were notable absences from this reunion. Uh, and I'm sure we can talk about that too. To me, the most notable absence was probably Michael Gambon. Or Maggie Smith. Or Maggie yeah. Smith. But I'm just thinking, how do you have a reunion without Dumbledore? <laughs> the secrets of Dumbledore are coming in four months, three months. If we're if we're putting on that critical lens for just a few minutes here before we get into you know all the lovey dovey, tear filled, happy moments, I I think that was a miss by them. Not even having something recorded from him, and maybe he didn't want to do it, but I, I just found that to be surprising. I get the impression this came together pretty quickly, even though Mike had to your point a couple of weeks ago. It's not like the 20th anniversary was sneaking up on them. They knew it was coming. It was it was a specific date from the day that the movie was released 20 years ago. And I think it's just an availability thing. They maybe Michael Gambon didn't want to do it because of COVID. I mean, that's a consideration we got to keep in mind when talking about these yeah. people missing Maggie Smith. I mean, she's up there in age. Maybe she just didn't want to risk it. Well, and she's also so, a cancer survivor. So mm -hmm. I'm sure she doesn't want to expose, I can't speak for her, but I would not be surprised if she didn't want to expose herself potentially to COVID. Um, right. Julie Walters also wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. Right? that one really surprised me, actually, because mm -hmm. Mark Williams was there. I think most of the Weasleys were there. I actually all had to were. Google that Julie Walters was still around because they were talking about her in the past tense. I was like, yeah. Did I miss <laughs> yeah. something? Rupert um, Grant wasn't with the other Weasleys. That was kind of disappointing. But that goes to that theory that they didn't actually get Rupert over to England to shoot any of this. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that's confirmed. Gosh, this whole conspiracy <laughs> theory, like it really, it seems that way. It's clear that, well, you were eagle eye about the credits. There was something that yeah, you saw. So I thought when we got to the credits, oh, maybe there'll be a hint here. And there was two pages of credits for a Toronto filming unit. They had a big crew filming something from this in Canada. 
Rupert was in Canada around the time that they filmed this special. We know that there's photo evidence and he was filming something there uh, for Netflix, I believe. So it just the pieces seem to come together. If I had to guess, I think um, Dan didn't actually get with Rupert and Emma. You never see them, Dan, touch either of those two. I think Dan was on set with Gary, Helena and Chris Columbus. And then everybody else besides Rupert was able to get together on a separate day or days because you see everybody else in the Great Hall. Dan and Emma never physically interact, though, do they? Right. No. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm really saying. good reaction. Like, they, I thought they were in the same room and then they have Rupert reacting to certain things that they're talking about. Maybe they zoomed him in and didn't show him and then did it opposite with like Emma and Rupert or something. I got the impression so that. The scenes where the three of them are talking and there's some great stuff in those scenes where it's the three of them, quote unquote, together as somebody who edits podcasts where that are recorded Mm. over the Internet. I can just tell when things are a little off in terms of the timing, Mm -hmm. especially like comedic (laughs) timing, because I deal with that a lot in editing. So I just felt like Rupert's stuff was a bit off the entire time. Anyway, nitpicks, though. Yeah. 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 No, no average person is going to notice that. <laughs> no, it, it is really impressive that that's even something that can be done at this point. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it was it was jarring going back to the very beginning. What is it? A few minutes in when we see the first trio interview and it just cuts to them and they're there and they're like, we're here. <laughs> you but know, there wasn't like any them- like. It's not them walking in the door. Right. We're back. We're back. Oh, my gosh. I haven't seen you. It's like, so we're here. They're just in They're They're at their markers. The tape is on the ground for stage for the lighting purposes. They, they've hit their mark and they're sitting in those chairs and they're just we're here. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. feel like it was pretty clear that Emma had the best availability of mm-hmm. the three of them, because especially for the first, I would say, like third or maybe half of the reunion special, it kind of felt like. It was following her. Mm. Um, I had seen a rumor, I think in our Facebook group, somebody was like, seems like this is really centered on Emma. Is she the host? And I can see why somebody would think that she wasn't. But honestly, if they were going to get somebody to host of the trio, she she probably would have been the person to do it because she was pretty much in everything. That said, I don't think anybody was not engaged in this special. I really did Mm -hmm. feel like Rupert and and Dan and and Emma all were as introspective and reflective as ever with one another. And and I I, I was pleased with the, you know, kind of inner revelations that they all had while talking to one another, remotely or not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's always good to see that they still have that chemistry after all this time. (laughs) And I think Rupert says something towards the end, like... You know, even though we don't see each other as often anymore, when we do come back together, it's like no time has passed. He said something to that effect. Yeah. And that got the tears going for both them two and all the viewers. <laughs> but well, that's talking- but that's yeah. the mark of a true friendship, right? When when so much time has passed, like the three of us or the four of us, we work together online and we meet virtually every week, but we don't see each other in person. And when we do, it feels like no time has passed, right? Same thing with like family. Yeah. Before we get into the the movie stuff, I want to talk about this Great Hall stuff. So we know that they filmed this on set at Leavesden at the studio tour. We see Dan walking in Diagon Alley with all the railings up. Um, and the Great Hall entrance, you know, they had this huge banquet in the Great Hall. We talked about them all sitting around these tables and they actually had professional dancers 
uh, that are dressed to look like this is very interesting because I think these dancers are all pretty adult, but I, I had the uh, realization that if they were supposed to be Hogwarts students, they're too old for that. But these dancers, like they have Emma coming in the great hall and there's all these people dancing and it's this whole choreographed thing. I'm like, this was a huge production. Just this whole great hall thing to find out that most of that footage was cut is very interesting to me because it seemed like it was going to be at some point in the development of this, a grand sort of stage like maybe where the whole thing was set yeah and i think it was clear that there was some kind of party that they all had for those who were on set at leavesden at the same time because we see in a couple of scenes people have drinks champagne and presumably they're having a good time so (laughs) to your point some of that was was definitely cut from the actual reunion see Mm -hmm. in 20 years when they do the reunion for the reunion then we'll get this extra footage. It does make mm-hmm. me wonder, like, when when could they do another one again? 25 is obviously too soon. 30? Eh. Mm. I, the big one would be 50. I mean, most of the young cast will hopefully mm-hmm. still be around. I was going to say, it'll just... be an in-memoriam for everyone else. Oh, God. <laughs> no, the young cast members are our age. They'll, they'll, um, they'll be around. So just a couple of notes on the reunion overall. It was about an hour, 45 minutes total runtime, which was great. I think we were all kind of expecting between 90 minutes and and two hours. Uh, As Laura pointed out earlier, there was no official host, uh, which I think it could have benefited from uh, at times. And then Eric, you had a note here about when a number of the characters were introduced. They mentioned their Hogwarts house for the character, but not for the actor. You think that was a a missed opportunity? I think it was kind of a weird thing because, you know, we're going into this special, talking about the beginning feeling disjointed a little. They're introducing these actors playing these characters, but then tell us the character's Hogwarts house. That's, I don't know, the least important information about them is what Hogwarts house their character was. Why not tell us what Hogwarts house the actor is? Just a minor thing. It just the title cards that were coming up and it was all jumbled together. And it was just, well, it's a missed opportunity. It was kind of like the title card was the physical reunion, like that sub <laughs> for the actual physical <laughs> hug reunion. Like, look at everybody who we got for this special. Yeah, that's a great point. But like, I know for a fact that Rupert is a Hufflepuff and Havana is a Gryffindor. So it's like, just have that on their card, have their Hogwarts house. Otherwise, you're just kind of, I don't know, giving us what we already know. The mm-hmm. reunion is broken down by films. Uh, I thought it was a really nice touch to have all four directors from over the eight films. Uh, And I will say personally, I loved Alfonso Cuaron and I am not a big Prisoner of Azkaban fan. And I know we're going to talk about that, but just hearing from him, I I think flips my opinion on Prisoner of Azkaban as a movie because it was really awesome to hear the things that he had to say. Yeah, I, I I do agree with that. Yeah, so Chris Columbus, Alfonso, Mike Newell, and um, David Yates, of course. Uh, I thought, again, probably a missed opportunity to not have all four of them together. That would have been Talking about the Potter films, but understanding that I'm sure COVID played a role into all this. But that would have been a really awesome segment uh, to have all four directors and maybe David Heyman um, sitting down uh, to talk about the films. So, of course, we begin... Uh, with Sorcerer's Stone uh, in Chamber of Secrets. Again, another really cool moment seeing uh, Dan Radcliffe and Chris Columbus come together and sit down and and talk about Harry Potter, how he was cast and and how this all kind of 
got started. Um, you could tell he's definitely a big fan. Yeah, he was very excited to be there. They had a great little segment on these kids who were all unknowns at the time in the acting world, working with these legendary British actors side by side. That's something I think we've thought about from time to time, but I really loved that they actually took a second to highlight that here. There's also the Emma and Robbie Coltrane one-on-one chat in this section. There was something I found very interesting was Dan says to Chris that he doesn't get enough credit for starting the world off. And Chris was really touched by that. Yeah. That was probably one of the better moments. And then Chris also says in this interview that he felt really bad for leaving uh, after Chamber of Secrets. Mm. And I, I got thinking about that while watching this because I was like, yeah, these kids were so young. Chris Columbus was really a father figure, a real life father figure they to them on much. set. Yeah. yeah, and for Chris to leave must have been kind of traumatic to an extent. It's like, who do we depend on now on set? And I know Chris was an executive producer on movie three, so maybe yeah. he was there from time to time, kind of like to help the kids out, maybe with some guidance. Um, but man, I would have been traumatized from that. Getting into <laughs> filmmaking with these first two movies and then our dad is leaving. Uh, it's like, no. Oh, man. Well, uh, this special convinced me more than any other interview and things had in the past that it was the right transition to make, Um, particularly as Alfonso is talking about them coming of age um, and, you know, kind of becoming their characters. I think it's it's very clear from the footage that you see of the kids goofing off on set, really needing the level of direction that Chris provided. I think that that they made a really good case for that being necessary, how they couldn't hold their shit together uh, for a full take. They it had to all be chopped together. These things versus by the time of Prisoner of Azkaban, when you see that they really are. What Alfonso says is that they, they really became, they know their characters better than he ever will. And so at that point, being given the kind of freedom to actually get into, actually work about the acting side of things, I think was the exact right transition. So if Chris had stayed behind, I still want to see that movie that gets made. But I think that nothing Alfonso said was wrong. And I will say about Chris Columbus, I think he still, I mean, that, I love that man. He still talks about Harry Potter I think in the way that we all want to see him talk about Harry Potter, it's this great experience. It's this wonderful thing. The best thing that's ever happened to him. And he's really passionate the way he talks about, you know, I saw this guy on David Copperfield and BBC. I thought, what a cool guy. And that's our Harry. And it's just, you know, it really makes me smile watching. I could watch Chris another two hours talk about Harry Potter and working right. with the kids. Because I think it, it was clear that he really loved to do it. I found it really touching when he was talking about working with these young kids who, you know, as y'all have said, had little to no prior experience and how he realized, you know, these are just kids and they need to be allowed to be kids. So being able to balance that with also getting the job done. He also talked about how he was terrified when he was making the first film because he knew it was this enormous responsibility to set the tone and launch this franchise. And he was working with a bunch of 11 year olds who had, you know, very short attention spans, but he had to do that while maintaining a psychologically safe environment for those kids to be working in. Um, Mm -hmm. No small task. So I was really touched to hear more about that. 
And he felt like he almost had carte blanche on Chamber of Secrets once Sorcerer's Stone was done and out and everybody enjoyed it. But yeah, it, it was great hearing so much of the cast talk about him as if he was a dad. Mm. Uh, and the the thing that really connected with me was when he said with this series, he wanted everyone to feel as if they were home. And I think that's something that you hear as a theme throughout the course of the reunion that all of these characters, or all these actors, excuse me, felt like they were going home. And mm-hmm. I think we feel like that. And that's why we connect to the series so much. And that's why I keep going back to the first two films all the time. They're as really well. good. They're really good. Micah, you mentioned that Chris Columbus said he felt free creating Chamber of Secrets. He said that, and then like they cut to some footage, and I thought they were going to let him explain what he meant by that more, but he didn't. So I'm so curious what he meant by that. Like he had more creative control, like was WB letting him off the leash a little bit, like do what you want. You did such a great job with Sorcerer's Stone. We'll trust you to- I I think it was just more of Sorcerer's Stone. There was probably so much pressure on delivering, and he Mm. did it, Mm -hmm. and- now he just felt like I'm free to create Chamber of Secrets. I don't have that level of pressure anymore. I've established the foundation of the series and now I can move forward and not feel like every little decision I make dark. is going to be analyzed. Yeah. 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 We know what we're doing. Here's how we can make Chamber of Secrets work based on what we did with Sorcerer's Stone. From an anxiety standpoint, too, I mean, Dan was surprised. You see his like his eyebrows grow up when he, when Chris was like, I was dying, actually, while making movie one. And it was like, he's like, I couldn't bring any of that to set. But I'm sure his anxiety was just through the roof. I'm sure that he was really so feeling free or being free is more like feeling free. The whatever if he was suffering imposter syndrome or or the only the own deadlines he was putting on himself to deliver something good. Once the Harry Potter movie was a worldwide success you let yourself off the hook and you let yourself really enjoy the moment, I think. And he had this whole experience of having worked an entire film uh, with this young cast. And I think that obviously went a long way to making him feel a bit freer uh, for Chamber of Secrets. Uh, Andrew, you mentioned British royalty. There was one thing I wanted to call out that I thought was really funny. Um, The kids really didn't have a sense early on in these first two films that they were working with British royalty. And Tom (laughs) Felton... When he's sitting in Gringotts talking with Matt Lewis and Alfie Enoch, says, I thought Richard Harris worked here as a tour guide. Now, I don't know if he was <laughs> he was joking or he was serious or maybe a bit of both. Yeah, I would say maybe a bit of both. But it's probably a very good thing that these kids didn't know how legendary these adult actors already were because that would have just put more pressure on them when doing their own scenes. Exactly. Then as we kind of transfer into or transition into Chamber of Secrets, we get a reunion of the Weasleys minus Rupert uh, at the borough. They're all sitting around the table uh, in the kitchen, uh, the Phelps twins, Mark Williams, Bonnie Wright. And this was kind of short, kind of limited. Uh, they do talk about Julie Walters a bit. Eric, you mentioned that earlier. They talk about family and how in particular the Weasleys felt so kind of distinguished from the rest, right? Even though the Harry Potter family was a family, the Weasleys were kind of a family within a family. Uh, so that was nice to hear. Yeah, and Chris Columbus made a surprise appearance during the interview. It didn't seem like the the, the uh, Weasley cast were expecting that. So I thought that was really cool to see. I, I just really love Mark Williams. <laughs> Seeing him on the, the train arriving. 
anything. Just his his. Well, I love his, the tuxedo. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, no, he looks real sharp, but also just his mannerisms, his you know facial expressions, and just when I when I saw he was going to be in the special, I was like, this is going to be great. One part that I really loved uh, about this kind of first segment was hearing from Jason Isaacs, who we know is a huge oh. Potter fan. He shared some really great information, including I think Eric, you've touched on this before on MuggleCast, how he originally had auditioned for the part of Lockhart. Yeah, I think we may have done a, a topic of what might have been or or casting situations, but Jason's another guy who just talks in the best way about Harry Potter, the way that he describes it, the way that he talks about his cast and his experiences, just you could listen to for hours. He's just a very fun, fun loving. You could tell he had a blast, but he also makes it make sense in a way for audiences. He gives a good interview. Absolutely. And uh, he shared a really funny story, maybe not so funny for Tom Felton, uh, about a deleted (laughs) scene inside of Morgan and Burke, um, where he literally took the cane that uh, Lucius carries around and slapped it onto something that Tom was touching in that, or Draco was touching in that scene. And he accidentally caned Tom's hand. So... um, (laughs) And he, he talks so but much like about the snake teeth, the snake yeah. teeth like dug into his finger. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he talks a lot though about how Tom is just the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. So to see this young 11, 12 year old kid with tears welling up in his eyes because, you know, Jason just accidentally uh, hurt him. <laughs> I don't know. It was very funny the way he told the story. Yeah. And there was talk about how I think Tom Felton said I was so intimidated when Jason Isaacs would become Lucius mm-hmm. Malfoy. And I, we hear that again later, I think, with at least one other character. Maybe I'm thinking of Ray Fiennes as Voldemort. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's so actually surprised. Jason, I think, that says that about Rafe. Yes, yeah, which does. is so interesting because Jason's playing a villain too. Yeah. <laughs> they all have this, you know, Jekyll and Hyde situation going on with one another. It's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. I was surprised to learn that the kicking of Dobby down the stairs and the poking with the cane was uh, apparently like improvised. I knew, yes. knew about the whole let us let us be uh, let us hope Mr. Potter's around to save the day. That's been reported. You know, you said before how that was. Don't worry, I will be was improvised. But this whole kicking thing, the idea that Chris like they did the take, they did the whole walk out the door, and then Chris was like, "Let's clean up that thingy, whatever he slipped on." And Jason was like, "No, no, no, that was intentional. I I kicked him." Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Oh God. And Speaking. and Toby Jones. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. And Toby Jones as Dobby as well. You know, showing interviews with with the interview that was done for this special with Toby talking about how, you know, inconsequential a sock is, but we as the audience know that it means everything. Um, it means everything and nothing simultaneously. I thought Toby Jones's statements were all very, very, very good. And it's clear that he also is another actor who we don't get uh, as much, you know, we don't hear about as much or cover as much interviews about Harry Potter, but it's clear that he also really gets it. He understands the assignment. Yeah, and, and certainly very popular um, in British film, um, but an mm-hmm. amazing voice actor, obviously, for Dobby. One other thing I just wanted to talk about from the first two films, and I definitely laughed out loud, and this was one of my favorite moments, was when Chris Columbus and Dan Radcliffe are talking about Fox and Richard Harris's reaction to Fox. Because basically- he didn't think that the phoenix was animatronic. He thought it was a real bird. 
<laughs> a real phoenix. <laughs> At a certain point, you got to ask yourself, what makes it not a real bird? There were cameras in its eyes and it was responding to him looking yeah. at it and petting it. Like at this point, I'm like, no, the people at Warner Brothers really made a real bird. <laughs> I believe the line was, they train these animals marvelously these days. <laughs> <laughs> See, now I have a little bit of headcanon here, you know, seeing Richard Harris like as, you know, I, I, I obviously am a big fan of Michael Gambit's Dumbledore, but Richard Harris, Richard Harris is obviously the person who laid the foundation for who Dumbledore was in the films. And I think he might have just been in character because that is like the kind of whimsical thing oh. that Dumbledore would say and like play dumb. But at the same time, he's being kind of quirky. Yeah. Um, and it just it felt very Dumbledore to me. So I was like, I could see Richard Harris just saying that, letting it slide, issuing no correction and letting everyone else think that they're in on some kind of joke. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I like that theory a lot. You know, speaking of these real props being made, there was a discussion amongst the trio about how all the props um, were real. All the effects were real. You know, the candles in the Great Hall, those were real <laughs> candles. And I think it's Dan who says all this real stuff would not be done today yes. if they shot this movie again. And Emma goes, oh, that is so true. And in that moment... I think she's thinking about being on like Beauty and the Beast, which she was in a few years ago. That was probably green screen to hell. Oh my god! <laughs> well, in Beast, we saw that thing that he wears on the sh- on his shoulder. It's just, like to make him taller or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Totally but this different. is something you know. I think I even brought this up a few weeks ago, maybe when we were doing our Sorcerer's Stone movie commentary. In the Star Wars fandom, it's celebrated that they do still try to do a lot of practical effects Mm. the characters are real they're not cgi they're doing all the makeup all that people really like that because you really can tell a difference no matter how good cgi gets it can never replace practical effects real props those candles really floating in the great hall and burning their ropes and dropping down onto the tables (laughs) yeah i wonder if anybody got wax burns on the set of (laughs) when it falls imagine if you had to be the person to basically go and reattach all of those candles after that happened. They probably got David Bradley to do it. <laughs> it makes you wonder how much is practical on the sets of Fantastic Beasts. Probably not much. The bread yeah. is the, the only beasts are practical. Real. Just ask Richard Harris. <laughs> well, that's what I'm talking about. Like they, you know, 20 years ago, they're making the animatronics, just like that Phoenix. Mm-hmm. But are any of the beasts in Fantastic Beasts animatronics? The Niffler is real. <laughs> it's played by Mrs. Norris. I just kept thinking about how traumatizing it would be as children to be sitting in the Great Hall shooting something and just start having candles, lit candles dropping (laughs) down on top of you. Terrifying. (laughs) If anything, it's a case for CGI. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is a huge safety nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Security nightmare. Let's talk about Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah. Because this guy delivered the reunion for me. I know, Micah, please explain why Alfonso- It was probably when he was talking about the scene in the Shrieking Shack and just how all of those actors work together and just his own experience sitting back watching. And he included Dan, Emma, and Rupert amongst sort of that British royalty of Alan Rickman and Timothy Spall and David Thewlis and Gary Oldman. And I just think I've never heard him talk so passionately about the films before. 
And so that just kind of changed my opinion of the film overall. Wow. Guess it's just me here <laughs> disliking the POM. No, I didn't say it's my favorite film. No, 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 no. This is kind of how you intro it too. But like as a critic of the Prisoner of Azkaban adaptation, I really don't find fault with anything Alfonso is saying in this special, especially you can tell he gets the characters. You can tell he gets what's going on with Harry. This whole dark cloud surrounding Harry that he calls out, like that's that's correct. And especially when he's talking about Sirius Black's uh, redemption and how that all works. I'm I'm really honestly blown away by how passionate uh, Alfonso still is about the actors and the characters. So I don't think any of that's wrong. What I like about sort of how I feel about this movie is that, you know, Alfonso also says, this is the coming of age film. This is good. But then when they get onto Goblet of Fire and Mike Newell's talking about the Voldemort scene, he says, this is the coming of age film. So there's still that dichotomy. There's a, there's a fundamental disagreement about where the series turns dark and I feel like if you feel like it happens when Cedric dies and Voldemort returns, like I do, you're more inclined to dislike the third film's darkness over the light moments. And if you really feel that it's when they turn some arbitrary number like 13, you can then get like, I've never bought into the just because we're 13 and we're teenagers, things change and have to be darker and drearier. While there are dark things in the third book, hell, Dementors for sure. Um, I never liked how heavily it leaned towards the dark as a film. So I think that's the disagreement. But I don't think character-wise, anything is wrong. And like I said earlier in this uh, episode, I think Alfonso gave the exact right direction and treated the kids exactly the way that they needed to if they were ever going to be actual actors. Agreed. Mm. They really spoke about how he spoke to them as adults. And and I mean, yeah. they, they said the same thing about, you know, Mike Newell and, and David Yates as well. But I think that probably that was the right transition for them moving into this sort of adolescent period of their lives while they're all trying to be actors. And particularly the shrieking shack scene, that was a stacked scene. And the fact that Alfonso regarded everyone in that scene as equals, I think, shows in the final product. Yeah. And actually, the trio talk about experiencing filming the Shrieking Shack scene. And Dan, Dan says, I remember turning to Emma at one point and being like, this is acting. This is what we need to be working towards. <laughs> and I really loved that moment because I still remember seeing Prisoner of Azkaban in theaters and when the Shrieking Shack scene really gets going with the act, the adult actors all working with each other, I had the same feeling that Dan had. Like, suddenly it shifts. The storyline is solely focused on the adults working out their very adult backstory. And I was just so enthralled by that scene. So I really loved that Dan felt the same way while watching them shoot that. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Totally agree. And there was one other moment that kind of endeared me to Alfonso, and that's when he issued that homework assignment. And <laughs> yeah. he had the trio basically write an essay about their character. And of course, Emma did like a 12-page report just like Hermione would. But he said something about Rupert because Rupert, of course, flaked and didn't do it. And he said, <laughs> Rupert is Ron. Ron is Rupert. And I just think that understanding of the characters, the actors, it was just at a different level than maybe I had expected from him. Yeah. And you also hear his ghost. Like I think Dan says about early Rupert too, that Rupert was the most camera ready of all of them. He's talking about when they're working on movie one and you can, you can tell 
that based on the he's like Ron's facial expressions and reactions to everything in the first two movies and in the th- even in the third movie there's a lot more of physical facial humor that Rupert's doing and it's just it seemed to come naturally and it's crazy to get, have that called out and be like yeah that's very much was all Rupert's doing and I think his, you know as he he got older he took the craft more like seriously or whatever and didn't do that as much he was still being used he was being written as the comic relief but a lot of that early humor to hear that it was you know really Rupert's inflection naturally just goes to show how well cast the trio was probably the part that we were most excited about though for Prisoner of Azkaban was the reunion between Dan and, and Gary Oldman and I think yeah. this was a great sit down conversation. I enjoyed them talking about that shrieking shack scene. They both kind of did their own Alan Rickman impersonations at times, which I found to be really (laughs) fun, but just, you could tell there's a lot of love and respect between these two. Well, that was one of my favorite moments from the reunion. It's when uh, Gary says he wish he knew what would happen to Sirius by the end. Yes. And Dan says, oh, well, Joe only told Alan Rickman what was going to happen to his character. (laughs) And then Gary goes, Rickman. (laughs) I thought of Seinfeld when Jerry goes, Newman. It's Gary going, Rickman, damn it. That was like laugh out loud funny for me. I wonder what. No, same. I wonder what Gary would have done differently. If he had known, he's like, I, I wish we would have known kind of a thing. Not that it matters, but you know, like he he wanted to know. I think there might have been something different about, I don't know, how serious goes out. But yeah, I would want to know the, the full scope of things too. It is funny that like Alan was the one who was afforded that special circumstance. We know why. It's, yeah. you know, it's pretty important being a double agent the entire series, but yeah. still. I love that whole bit where... um I think Dan was the one who mentioned it, maybe, that uh, if Alan would make a particular choice in his delivery and somebody would ask him, <laughs> why did you do that? He would just be like, I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> what a position for the director to be I in know. to have to take like keep that take because it's supposed to be special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that oh that was also so great because Dan and Gary were physically together. And I think in the yes. opening scene of that sequence, we do see them embrace. Mm-hmm. And it's so great to yeah. see, especially when you think about the age gap between these two and Dan being a teen when they started working together. And now they're both adults and Dan has grown so much. It's just really heartwarming. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Also really heartwarming to hear Dan talk about how Gary was really a mentor to him, you know, that he would talk to Dan about acting between takes and he would explain the craft and his method and things like that. Um, so you can definitely tell that there's been, you know, it's not like they haven't spoken since Prisoner of Azkaban, right? Like they've mm-hmm, clearly right. been in touch since then. So that's really nice well that that feeds into nicely what dan eventually says i think much more towards the end of the doc where he says that these people were foundational to who i am and he really drives that home that's a Mm tear-jerking moment for me but because he gets choked up about it watching that's the thing that choked me up the most during this was watching any of them get choked up it's like that was just like a push forward for me to grab it but yeah it's really clear the relationship that dan and gary had and any of that Mm -hmm. is real you can tell they all really changed each other Mm -hmm. eric you mentioned coming of age there was also a couple of other titles for goblet of fire the grand new error magic in the air there's a lot of talk about 
teenage romance as we get into the fourth film, Mike Newell coming on as director. I think it was Rupert who said that he was like a character right out of the books. And again, it was nice to get that kind of insight into these two directors who were only there, you know, talking about Alfonso as well, for one film. Yeah. But to see how much they did care about the work that they were doing. I got to say, out of this special, I finally understand why Goblet of Fire is the way that it is. Yeah. All of those shots of Mike Newell jumping and screaming with the so cast much energy. before every take. Ah! And they all do, ah! That completely. Exp- I, I had so many questions about Goblet of Fire. How did this get made? Why is this choice made? Why is it- That explains everything. It did, just, does it also was- explain... Uh, Dumbledore yelling at Harry. <laughs> yes, <laughs> probably. If I did those kind bike. of war- it's, I, I did those kind of warm up exercises. Yeah, absolutely. He was doing his best Mike impression. Now we know why he was screaming <laughs> so loud. Oh my god, Mike just going and and attacking the twins and showing them how it's done. I know we'll get to that in a moment. But yeah, no, but let's yeah. talk about it. He cracked some yeah. ribs. Literally. Did we know this story? No. Did we know? We didn't know this. I don't story. think so. I figured we did because they had that footage that they showed in the reunion of of Mike being in pain on the ground. So I figured this was like a DVD <laughs> special feature or something. But yeah, I didn't know this either. I know, this, why, this... I know why Mike Newell only directed one Harry Potter film. It's because he had a restraining order from from uh, the Phelps twins for, for attacking them on set. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I, I loved the story and why he did that. So in case anybody hasn't seen this yet. Um, Mike Newell decided to fight with one of the Phelps twins <laughs> to show them how to fight on the ground. And while fighting with one of the Phelps twins, he accidentally really broke a couple of his ribs. And that, his own yeah, that, ribs. Yeah. Huh, yeah. So um, that, that was that was interesting. I just yeah. But that that's the exciting part. Seeing again how passionate the directors are about their work. Still, I would say all the directors interviewed you can see moments where they just light up talking about the things that they were able to do for, for David Yates. It's a, it's when um, Hermione and Ron kiss, he like just lights up so happily, but yeah, it just really is important. And I, even though this, you know, this special does go through all the films. I, I just love what the directors had to say about each one. Yeah. It's amazing the Phelps twins didn't know how to fight each other. Uh, you know, brothers know how <laughs> yeah, to beat the I shit think, out of I each other. I think that it was just well, that's what he said to them. I think it's just that they were pulling punches, and They're he really nice. needed he really needed them to like not look like they were put. You can pull punches, but you have to make it look like you're not. And so I think that mm-hmm. was the whole deal. Also, the whole um, <laughs> talking about the pranks and behind the scenes stuff, the way that they tricked Rupert into dancing with Dame Maggie Smith or that the improvisation <laughs> part of that. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like I, I had no idea. Me neither. Yeah, I had no idea that was improvised. I'm sure she had a lot of fun with that scene though, too. Yeah. So, but the idea that Dame Maggie Smith like calls Ron up, you know, to, to dance and they're all having fun with it. I just thought it was so perfect. Yeah. So staying along the lines of teenage romance, let's talk about how Dan and Emma coached each other on texting the opposite sex. I thought that was (laughs) funny. I know we're going to get to talking about Tom and Emma, which is going to be probably the biggest news story to come out of this reunion, I'm assuming. Oh my God. (laughs) No, the second biggest. To hell with the texting thing. Behind Dan and Helena. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was interesting though, because- 
Emma then says there was nothing actually romantic that happened between us. And then why does she feel the need to clear the air and sink that ship after all of that (laughs) buildup? Why did they need to have that? She kind of clarified, too, that they were just friends, but it was like a brother sister relationship. Is that the impression you all got? The impression I got was that when they were kids, Tom viewed it as a brother sister relationship. I don't know about Uh, how it is now, but I mean, Dramione shippers all over Twitter are posting like HD footage slowed down of them (laughs) dancing in the Great Hall and the way they're looking at each other. And it it just feels like they naturally had a lot of really nice things to say about each other. So bare minimum, these two are just very dear friends. But it seems like maybe there's potential for something else. But I don't know. If if they don't want people to know about it, then it's none of our business and that's okay. <laughs> Wait, are you saying right. in the future? Like present day? Yeah. I mean, they have feelings yeah. towards one another? Maybe. Oh. Oh, wow. That'd Emma's be crazy. Story about, Emma's story about the call sheet was very touching. Yeah. Where she'd yeah. look every day to see if he was available. And that, that speaks seven to a, a young crush. <laughs> of course, number seven. Well, and of course, um, Tom Felton did start dating somebody behind the scenes who would then mm. go on to play his wife in the epilogue. Right. I'm I forgetting the name. That. I don't think they're together anymore, but Emma must have been crushed by that. <laughs> well, you see how much they care about each other just on that initial walk in by Emma yep. into the Great Hall. They hug not once but twice. So Laura, maybe there's something to your uh future theory there. Maybe. I think bare minimum, they're just really close friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. it seems like maybe those two have stayed closer than some of the other principal cast. Um but I don't know. It's it's up to them if you know they have anything additional they want to share on that front. But my God, mm-hmm. y'all, if y'all I go think on... that ship has sailed. I, I don't think it's happening. Well, but... all I'm saying is if you go on Twitter and you look at the return to Hogwarts hashtag, 90% of it is people freaking out about Tom and Emma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like people are obsessed. Do you think this is going to propel them to actually try to get together? They're, they're like, hey, maybe th- I don't know. Well, a lot of people believe in this. Maybe we should try it. <laughs> I think that they're both pretty well grounded people to the point where they can make the best decision for themselves. I think Laura is trying to make this happen. No, I'm not. I think we should all try to make this happen. I'm not. What you love to see is fondness for one another. For people who know each other and work together, they just are fond of each other. And Andrew, you mentioned the call sheet, but there was another story that was shared about, um, I guess they were in class in one of the uh the trailers i guess they were they were schooled on site right a lot of them yeah yeah and they were given the assignment to draw what god looks like and emma said that tom ended up drawing a girl with a backwards cap on a skateboard and that somehow just connected her to him maybe just because he thinks outside the box a little bit I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what God looks like. But yeah, I I found that to be an endearing story um, as well. It just, the level of intimacy that they shared, not not, um, only acting together, but schooling together, but growing up together, that really does, I, I forget if it's Dan that has the line too, but because of how much they became themselves and grew into themselves around each other 
even though they don't always keep in contact. Yeah, this came from, I think, at the end when maybe Rupert tells Emma how much he loves her. Um, You know, they really just have this life bond that's never going away. All right. So to wrap up Goblet of Fire, we hear from the one, the only Rafe Fiennes. And uh, he talks a little bit about how he got the role and that his sister's children were instrumental in him taking it, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. And then as we mentioned earlier, Jason Isaacs was terrified of Ray Fiennes when he went into the character of Voldemort. And understandably so. I mean, just sitting there looking at Rafe during these interviews and he would kind of adopt some of that Voldemort personality. Yes. You could tell like he was really into it. That resonated with me too. And I had made a note about this. He really felt like he became Voldemort, which is so wild to say too. Like, do you really want to admit that? <laughs> I know he exactly. Talks about, but... You know what it was for me? He talks about the breath in a breath. Uh-huh. Like, and he just gets into the voice and just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I have really come to appreciate Ray Fiennes as an actor in Bruges as another incredible example of Ray Fiennes and not to mention the many countless others, the Bond films and mm-hmm. Schindler's List. But yeah, Rafe in this special was just fantastic. And I still want him as host in a future special. I think that would have been great. <laughs> Terrify everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but again, here's a guy doing an evil role, but he has the best time. He talks about the best people, all the experiences. And, and also it really showed me Kind of, again, how critical each director was to the whole franchise, because, you know, Mike Newell, although there's all this frenetic energy and and everybody's um, a soccer hooligan in the film, you know, he had to essentially invent Voldemort for the modern era of films and grow the series up in an irreparable way uh, or no going back sort of way. And I think they really nailed that. Um in terms of the transformation and, and creating, you know, obviously Voldemort is built on in the later films, but they, that was where they had to show something. And that whole graveyard scene is very important. I think at the actor figuring out who the character is and all the rest of us in the movies, figuring out who the character is. Right. So, And then saying that Voldemort is the essence of evil. It yep. tells you all you need to know. Yeah. Good stuff. Let's jump into order of the Phoenix and half blood Prince. And this was definitely one of the other big highlights of this reunion. Andrew, you mentioned it before. Uh, Dan sitting down with Helena Bonham Carter. Together. Physically together. together. It makes all the difference. But yeah, just immediately, immediately Helena Bonham Carter, like I said earlier, like no time has passed. She's still, she's still like... As kooky as ever, and I mean that with love. <laughs> She's just so fun. The chemistry between Dan and Helena is palpable. Uh, Helena uh, whips out her phone at one point and is like, look at this letter you you wrote for me. I found this the other day. In the letter, Dan says he wishes he was 10 years older so he could pot- potentially get with Helena. Date her. <laughs> I, think, I think it was, quote, get in there. I, 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 <laughs> I'm blown away by this revelation. <laughs> and he wrote this letter, I guess, when they finished filming Deathly Hallows Part 2, probably around that time. Oh, I thought it was order. <laughs> oh, maybe it was. I don't I don't know if that was clarified. I have no idea. This paints Cursed Child in a whole new light. 
I know. Oh. Yeah. I know. <laughs> now you see why Voldemort was willing to get with her. <laughs> Harry Potter liked her too. <laughs> Helena says at one point that she was told by Joe, given a lot of creative freedom, again, another actress who's really like, we're bringing you on in this role. But, you know, I think for many people, but definitely for me, I can only speak for myself. Helena's Bellatrix adds some very big elements that force their way into the my perception of Bellatrix in the books. You know, there's a Bellatrix in the books might be a little airier without Helena's portrayal. Yeah, I so agree. And when um, she talked about that in the special, she talked about um, Joe telling her, you know, there may not be much on the page, but she does something very significant. I don't know if she was referring to killing Sirius or being killed by Molly or having, having Voldemort's baby. baby. Right. Um, I think that's the clue. <laughs> but I, it really made me remember when we were doing Order of the Phoenix chapter by chapter most recently and how we were all a little bit surprised when we revisited Bellatrix in Order of the Phoenix at how little of her there was on the page. And it's all a testament to what an amazing actor Helena Bonham Carter is and how she was able to make that character pop off the page. That said, were you as surprised as I was to find out that there were Gary Oldman and Helena Bonham Carter dueling scenes that were apparently took weeks to film and aren't in the finished product? I was surprised and angry. Not well, angry. So, not uh, disappointed. Disappointed yeah. is a better word. And they sounded disappointed too. I don't yeah. know if it took them weeks to film that those particular scenes. I think they were on set for that whole sequence oh, for right, weeks, right, right, maybe. Right. But wouldn't that have been a perfect opportunity to show that footage? Yeah. Yeah. If they filmed it, they must have it still. So put in some shots. Maybe they were exaggerating. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe it was just a quick little duel that they shot. But yeah, I think that surprised a lot of people and mm -hmm. everybody wants to see the footage. There's a couple things in this special where it's just like, did they really say that? <laughs> like, are they admitting to having footage we haven't been shown? Like what? Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah, this whole scene just gave a lot of kind of levity to the reunion after having spent so much time just with Ray Fiennes and talking about coming of age. She was just, you know, with bringing out the teeth and like she brought her teeth <laughs> going to check and see if the goblins were still under the desk at Gringotts racing down to her vault with Dan like she's just a fun person so mm. I really enjoyed that I want to get a drink with her yeah <laughs> that would be awesome there's some conventions coming up this year hopefully <laughs> knock on wood we can wood. make it happen Laura I don't think Man. she's coming yeah probably uh, not one thing that I felt was very interesting about this area of the documentary as well was they did briefly touch on whether or not Emma was coming back um, for Order of the Phoenix. And we know, I, I seem to remember reports, like it was old enough when these were coming out, like reports that the, we didn't know if all three actors were going to finish all of the films until around this time it was eventually announced. And God, if we had MuggleCast a couple years earlier than we did, I think we probably would have talked about it more in, in depth. But I think it's it's weird that they bring it up in the special because it's nice that Emma's able to touch on sort of the trials of fame, but they don't actually handle kind of what convinced her to return. There, there's no, she said, there's no one person that like comes to her and makes an impassioned speech. I thought they were setting up David Yates to do that in this reunion special, but she, they kind of just all decided to come back and then it was fine. 
Like the, the yeah. reunion kind of asks the question, but doesn't answer that same I, question. I think maybe that they were implying that David Yates had something to do with that because David Heyman has a line where he says that Yates pushes actors in all the right ways. Mm. And so I wonder if that had something to do with her coming back. I think, didn't she say she spoke with her parents and was it her mother who convinced her to do it? Oh, maybe. maybe. It was the fame, it seems like, that was getting to her, all this attention on her. And she wanted to just live a normal life. And I mean, a few years later, she would go to Brown University. And unfortunately, um, she wasn't able to have the private life there that she was hoping for, I don't think. Um, But even Rupert says, I was thinking of leaving around this time as well. He said that, right? And like, look, something like this, this is what you kind of expect from a reunion retrospective like this you want that vulnerability you want these stories that you haven't heard before you want to hear the honest truth about what was really going on behind the scenes and to that point i actually thought they were going to get into dan's alcohol problem that he had around this time on this same movie Mm -hmm. you know and this has been i don't want to like spend a lot of time on this but it has been reported and i think he has spoken about this before he had a very serious alcohol problem while filming movie five to the point where like he would show up either hungover or still drunk the next morning just like got really really bad he's all good now but i thought they were going to get into that in part because i think in the trailer there's a line from dan where he says something about it being really tough uh but anyway i just Mm -hmm. i actually would have liked a little more vulnerability overall in the special because again that's what you look for in this type of thing the yeah. truth if, finally coming out. Well, well, right. Maybe if it were about one thing, maybe if it were about the trio's experience on these films or one particular movie, maybe we'd have gotten that. What I like from Dan is that whole, he says like, when you're 15, you're not checking in with each other emotionally. As often as you are together, you're not asking, hey, how you doing? Um, right. That was so, so, so critical to mm-hmm. me because it speaks to, you know, as a kid, you don't have the emotional intelligence to just ask. And when they were talking about how lonely it was for Emma or must have been for Emma because Dan had Rupert, but she was alone. I felt that I had been given new insight into mm-hmm. some of the struggles of one of my favorite people. But yeah, Rupert has something at the end of the special where he says, even my name didn't feel like my name by the end. And that yeah. just hit home with me because for so many years he's been called Ron and you know, that kind of disassociation when you talk about things like anxiety, depression, those things play huge roles. Um, I'm sure in in kind of throughout the course of his adolescence. So I I, I think having some of those moments were important. They just weren't. They didn't dive into them as much, uh, Andrew. They you know they were there, but I don't know if that's necessarily what the audience would have wanted either. Yeah. And it could be, you know, with regard to, you know, Dan's struggles during the film, it could, he's been pretty open about it in interviews. And it could be that he said all he has to say about it and he doesn't really want to talk about it anymore. I don't blame him. Um, But yeah, I mean, when you're thinking about how often we've heard it repeated over the years, the like, Dan is Harry, Emma is Hermione, Rupert is Ron, that's all great. But when you're growing up, you're coming of age and figuring out who you are and having a lot of prominent people tell you, oh, yeah, you're Ron. That's who you are. 
even if the intention is not to have a negative impact there, I can see why it would be confusing for a young person who's trying to figure out who they are. Yeah. Thank you. You said that much better than I did, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about outsiders um, while uh, you know we're on this kind of topic. Uh, it's something that does get brought up, um, particularly when we see Ivana Lynch uh, for the first time uh, talking about the character of Luna Lovegood in Order of the Phoenix. And one of the most important things I think she says, and and she's talked about this so much, is seeing your oddness as a superpower represented on screen was huge for her. Also hear from you know Matt Lewis talking about Neville, uh, Rupert talks about Ron, but more so their own personal experiences and how they were shy as kids and you know as many of us are but to be able to kind of see that manifest itself on screen and then transition into something more meaningful i think um that's a lot of uh, that's something that a lot of us take from this series it's huge it's a key ingredient i would say too they go back to haggard's line about the biggest bunch of misfits i ever saw like the idea that it's giving and i think ivana says this giving the audience permission to be themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me is the one major tenet of Harry Potter, especially to the films, their mission statement almost is be comfortable, find a family, find a chosen family. And that's, I think, the through line that still works for me in these films. I do wish that we had gotten more time with Ivana. I'm biased because she's just so well, lovely. She's amazing. she's amazing. And we've had her on this show and... Um, she's just so wonderful to talk to and and to listen to. She's so insightful uh, that I was really hoping to see more of her. And I can't help but think they must have more footage that they shot for yeah. this with her. They Surely. just didn't use. Well, well that's for the, example, that's my, there sorry, was that one shot where Ivana, Emma, and Bonnie are sitting on the Hogwarts Express together. And I think there was like a group hug type of thing. But I was there an interview from that? That we saw? I don't think so. 30 seconds, they said, cut. Everybody got off the train. They're like, good, we hate trains. We don't really want to be this there. This will be great left. for the trailer. Yeah, yeah, perfect for the trailer. No, I agree. There's clearly so much more footage. But that what that kind of spoke to me and said, you know what? This reunion is not going to be definitive. I'm not saying they're going to do another one. But there already is so many other video interviews. There's podcasts that these actors and actresses have been a part of, that they've been on. Like, even, for instance, the interview that, Ivana gave to us about her book. Her book covers a lot of the stuff, including like being a pen pal with J.K. Rowling, all the stuff that like was weaseled into this reunion at the bottom of the thing. So these people are never going to be able to be summarized. Their experience is never summarized into this reunion special in a satisfying way. But fortunately, with the internet, we have access as fans to all of this material. And so I would just, you know, if you were touched, this is my message to listeners, if you were touched by any of these interviews that these people gave, watch more of their stuff or, or read in some cases they have books and yeah, interviews that they wrote. But but I do think it was a bit of a miss when you're talking about all of these. It's not just about the characters coming of age, right? It's about the actors coming of age. And they could have done a better job telling some of these stories. I mean, even you have the moment where Emma Watson mentions how she's so proud of fellow actresses like Bonnie Wright and Ivana Lynch and Katie Lung, who played uh, Cho Chang, the fact that they are so passionate and they're doing all of this great work for causes that they really, truly care about. But I think, as you noted, Eric, they don't mention what they are. No, yeah. it's the worst thing in the world. Emma Watson's like, I'm proud of these women for becoming all activists and amazing things. How much special does the reunion go into to talk about their activism then? Nothing. It goes to like another funny shot from the past. I'm like, 
oh, we're not going to champion any causes here. We're going to play it real safe, Warner Brothers. Well, you don't want to upset anybody. Yeah, exactly. They're playing it safe. They they don't want they don't want to go there. But I think it is it is a miss. Uh, to borrow a phrase, Mike could just use because I'm sure a lot of people genuinely have no idea what they do. They yep. they have no idea what that activism is. And I guess you can go Google Ivana Lynch activism and find your answer. So but I would I would venture to say 95 percent of viewers of this have no clue. I completely agree and probably won't look it up, which is why yeah. it was important for the reunion special as hyped as it was to actually do something or say something. But I have looked it up. Ginny uh, Bonnie Wright is an activist for climate change. She's worked with Greenpeace. She's worked to keep plastic out of oceans. That's sort of her cause. Katie Lung has championed better inclusion for diversity and Asian actors uh, in cinema. And Ivana, as we know, is a vegan by choice and is talking about sustainable um, veganism and food practices. These are some of their causes. I looked it up. There's a summary. But look it up more than I did. Go into it. Thanks for gathering that. Yeah, you're welcome. So... Do we want to briefly touch on the awkward kissing scene between? Yes. Go for it, Eric. Mostly to hype up my girlfriend. So, yeah, it's so interesting. Again, I was like, this reunion special is kind of saying things that I'm like, are they really going to talk about how awkward Harry Ginny was in the films? How the Ginny relationship from the books is just not present in the films. And they didn't. They mostly talked about how weird it was for the actors, how, you know, Bonnie Wright started it as like nine years old and grew up on the set as like they're, and then they had to kiss. So there's some awkwardness in the back behind the scenes that you get. You don't really hear about how it didn't work in the adaptation. But the funniest thing ever uh, for me during that scene, when they show kind of Dan's, I guess, trepidation that showed up on scene, when Bonnie was leaning into him. My girlfriend who was watching the special with me, Meg said, uh, pretend it's Helena Bonham Carter. Pretend it's Helena Bonham Carter. Just knowing what we know now, I'm like, oh my God, that's possibly what Dan was thinking when they were doing that scene. <laughs> yeah, so I funny. Mean, it it's still rewatching that scene in the special I was like, Yeah, that was pretty awkward. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Helena Bonham Carter. Uh, we got some more time with her to kind of wrap up the Half-Blood Prince section. She's sitting down with Tom Felton in oh, the yeah. Slytherin common room. Talk about a number of things. Uh, they talk about uh, Tom really wanted to steal the wand uh, from the set. And uh, she very nicely says, Tom, you know they don't work, right? <laughs> um, but then I thought it was great she goes into this story because she, you know she would talk about how she would always be using the wand on set and nothing would ever happen as a result of it until she got the <laughs> opportunity to blow up Hagrid's hut. And I have to imagine just that moment when she does it, when she's kind of dancing around like a crazy person, she really felt a lot of that emotion <laughs> because she wanted to blow something up. She wanted to actually see magic happen in front of her. And it finally did. Not to mention the heat. That comes from that oh, big yeah. of a fire right. burst. And now when you watch <sighs> that scene and you watch her jumping up and down, you're like, oh, she was genuinely excited to make yep. her watch yeah. something. <laughs> what? It's such an important character insight into Bellatrix that she's in it for the power. That mm-hmm. analysis, that line makes it work for me. 
the and, and it parallels Helena's own lust for power for making her want do something. But it, it's interspersed with scenes from the movie, like where she cast the dark mark. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what they were going for. It makes perfect sense. But the dark mark yeah. didn't appear above her. So she, you know. I really appreciated how Helena touched on the childlike nature of Bellatrix. It's childlike mm. and psychotic and how terrifying mm. that is. And it just comes across uh, again. I think that she really brought a lot of life to the character that we didn't necessarily get in the books. So this special just made me appreciate her so much more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the Half-Blood Prince section wraps up. uh, There's a bit uh, with David Yates talking about how for Tom Felton, this movie was really his time to shine. And, uh, you know, of course, there's moments for the trio throughout. But for Tom, this was really his moment. And I thought it was just nice to hear this about the character of Draco. We've probably talked about it a lot on the show, but I definitely think that that Tom delivered uh, on the Astronomy Tower. And I think Yates said that this was his opportunity to give Draco depth. Yeah. I think that was the word that he used. I I think Mm -hmm. the important part is recognizing that the opportunity is there and executing it. And I think they did both really, really well. Well, next was the segment we had speculated they would probably do, right, Micah? Yeah. So before we got to Deathly Hallows, they did the In Memoriam. It was a really nice couple of minutes reflecting on the actors and actresses that we've lost in the Harry Potter films, uh, starting off with Richard Harris. And I forget who said this, but it was really nice um, that basically Richard Harris was like an 11 year old trapped in a 70 year old's body, and they showed like a <laughs> a clip of him, and he was just hilarious. So in a hotel room with his beard tucked into his belt, <laughs> book Dumbledore, everybody. Mm-hmm. They also um, reflected on Richard Griffiths, who Dan uh, I know was was very close to, and, and gives a lot of credit to uh, from an acting standpoint. Uh, John Hurt, who played Ollivander, uh, Helen McCrory, uh, who we lost mm-hmm. just in 2021, uh, mm-hmm. Jason Isaacs, Tom Felton spoke about her. I teared up um, hearing Jason Isaacs uh, speak about her. That was definitely a very well, kind of sweet moment. Tom, too. Tom really yeah. heaped a lot of praise onto her. And that was a tearjerker for sure. And then, of course, uh, Alan Rickman, uh, who Ray Fiennes uh, said, was a magician. I thought that was appropriate. Uh, but just hearing kind of all the actors reflect upon him, we've heard so much uh, kind of over the years about what he meant to so many different people, the time he would take, uh, the investments that he would make uh, in his fellow actors. So it was a very nice uh, tribute uh, to Snape. And then they did yeah, kind know, of I a... Think... Sp- oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think some of the sometimes doing in in memoriam can be a little tricky, but I think they really nailed it with this one. It was super, super touching. I'm sure every yeah. viewer, myself included, was tearing up while watching this. And then like you were just going to say, Micah, at the end, they had this full screen title card up, if you will, that named all of the actors involved with the Harry Potter films over the years who have died. Um, so they they did attempt to cover everybody. Hopefully they didn't miss anybody. You know, during the Oscars, you you tend to hear 
you know, so-and-so was snubbed during the Oscars in memoriam, it seemed they try to take care of that potential issue by throwing up a card and naming everybody. Mm-hmm. And I assume it was all people who had on-screen roles. Maybe there were some people from the production side, too. Possibly. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and, and take a closer look at it. But I just, I think the whole segment spoke to and you said it was done really nicely just how much of a family this whole cast and crew were Uh, so it was it was really really well done deathly hallows parts one and two as we kind of wrap up the reunion discussion here uh we start with a hamster story i don't know what this had to do with anything related to Deathly Hallows, but... Oh, life and death and holding on and still wanting to pet the dead corpse of the uh, well, hamster. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's it, it felt right and it felt wrong for the same reasons. <laughs> I but think they I included think- it because it was a good moment amongst the trio. Like, all three of them had something to say about it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I personally didn't really care. I think they just included this because it was... A fun moment. Well, the idea about the uh, the carpentry department made the box, made like a little box for uh, the hamster, just shows that all the um, you know departments were close knit and also working with the actors. So I think that was an important part to show. Yeah, and let's also mention this is when uh, they were filming, presumably the first or the second film. Not Emma didn't have a hamster when she was filming. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, weird. Or maybe she did. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> Dan made a really funny comment that they at least all still look better now sitting around this room, even though they all weren't physically together uh, than they did in the epilogue. Um, and I think that's just you know funny because we did he we've really spent a lot say that? Oh yeah. yeah. He said yeah, that. that was now was that shade towards the epilogue? I feel like it was. Definitely towards so. the first take. We all know it, just in case anybody doesn't know, they actually reshot the epilogue. I think mainly because for the initial shoot, Rupert looked terrible as older <laughs> Ron. Uh Tom also looked terrible. I thought Emma and uh Dan looked okay, but I it just wasn't working. And I they shot on location at uh what's the uh King's Cross? King's Cross. For the reshoot, I think they did it on a set, maybe in part because they didn't want the paparazzi uh, shooting the reshoot. But I thought that was one of the highlights of the reunion for me, Dan saying we all still look better than we do in the <laughs> That must mean he's not happy with how that turned out. That's just how they weigh themselves, right? I would too. Yeah. It's like, how do you measure yourself? Well, yeah. I'm doing better than I was in the epilogue. Great. <laughs> nice yeah. work. I think that they're always going to look better than they did in the epilogue, even when they're like <laughs> older than they were canonically in that scene. I don't right. think in the reshoot any of them look that bad. Maybe you could say Ryan looks pretty bad i think maybe dan might look the worst out of that epilogue i think the one that's in the film just a lot older just mm-hmm. significantly older than the 39 he's supposed to be right or whatever it is emma and dan uh talked about the infamous dance scene during deathly hallows i know that was a big deal for a lot of fans because it obviously does not happen in the books it led harry and hermione shippers on created a big to do, uh, but they seem to really both enjoy it. I, one of the other things that came up a lot during this discussion where they're talking about how Deathly Hallows really just didn't feel like the other films, right? It's felt totally like a different experience. And for Dan and Emma, this particular scene, they just felt like they could have fun with it. It was kind of a bit of an escape even. 
Yeah, this was a great moment with the trio. One of the highlights here for me, and I busted out laughing at this, was Emma said, I knew I was going to have to be the one to take initiation in terms of getting the kiss done. (laughs) (laughs) And Rupert said, I blacked out. (laughs) That was so great because I think that's also relatable for a lot of people when they're having their first kiss. Like somebody at some point is going to be like, all right, it's clearly going to have to be me who's going to take initiation here because the other person isn't about to do it. I love that they like handled it delicately, but like, actually they, so they show both takes. They show like an early take where Emma like leaps into it. And then the final version of the film, it's actually more mutual or actually Ron just kind of is leaning in. So yeah, I I like that they did thinking about all the things they had to worry about, like the buildup to like kissing your best friend for through all these years. And the idea that they had just been doused with water too. Cause Mm -hmm. I was, when they were going that scene, I'm like, Oh yeah, there's a flood of water that hits them all. And then they have to leap into the kiss. It's like, man, way to be spritzed with like probably freezing cold water and then have to do this daunting task of kissing your best friend. Yeah, and you're doing it in front of this film crew. I, I get Dan, why it's Dan difficult. Dan kept threatening to show up. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to watch, yeah, even though I'm not said, on set that day. Yeah, he said he was a dick about it. Yeah. <laughs> Those are his words. Amazing. So I feel comfortable sharing that. Um, but you can imagine like you grew up as friends, you know, you, you, you're all about kind of like, sticking your nose where it doesn't belong, razzing your friends, doing that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I'm sure he got very similar treatment um, with him and Katie um, back in Order of the Phoenix because I'm assuming even though all the other members of the Order of the Phoenix leave the room, they're just walking off to the side of the set. They're going to watch this big moment. So I'm sure it's going to be super nerve wracking. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that given how much time they gave to talking about Emma and Rupert's kiss. They didn't talk about Emma and Dan's kiss. Mm. Mm-hmm. Good point. Because we had to spend time on the hamster. We didn't That's have right. time for, <laughs> for Dan and Emma. We had to hear about the hamster. <laughs> well, when did Dan and Emma kiss? In the, the Deathly the Hallows. Scene. Yeah, the, the Horcrux scene. Is that? It's shady. I can never make out what's happening in that scene because the lighting they're kissing. is so bad. They're and Ron definitely kissing. And Emma, yeah, and yeah. they're a little disrobed as well. Yep. I know. Oh, I, yeah. That's exactly why they probably did not talk about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and Eric they were blacked like, out during that. <laughs> they they painted they were painted silver too. So they were like yeah. <laughs> minimally clothed, was, painted silver. It it was weird. It was cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> There's a re- you could never talk about that in a reunion special <laughs> like this. You really could like we're gonna paint ourselves gray, take off our clothes and kiss and hold each other. So yeah. the the Deathly Hallows section wraps up with uh you know David Yates does a bit of talking about how he changed this final battle, this final confrontation between Harry and Voldemort, stuff we already knew. Um, but there is a bit as well that focuses on Neville, and Matt Lewis has a really great line. I think Robbie Coltrane talks about this moment as well with that, you know, Matt kind of finally showing up uh, as an actor, having this big moment, you know, and, and I think Matt's talked about it in the past too, like being, you know, across from Ray Fiennes and having to deliver these lines. But the one thing that he said that I, that really kind of stuck with me was that Potter helped me find what I'm not, which therefore by extension helped me find what I am. Uh, and I thought that was just a nice way to kind of tie up this entire reunion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really sweet. Something else here, and I could not believe that they included this. David Yates was trying to explain 
the Harry Voldemort fight sequence. It cracked me up because we've spoken on the show about how it's so bad how I love uh, this. Harry and Voldemort are touching each other and you know their heads collide into one. That was all done to sell 3D tickets. Yep. Period. But David Yates is sitting here trying to explain like why he had every reason to to create it this fight sequence. The connection between them that's only hinted in dialogue. Why did they even have to include this? Is it because they knew that people didn't like that sequence? I just, yeah, they're still getting hate letters about it. I'm sure <laughs> it was so odd that they had him explain this. I I don't get that. I yeah. don't. I, I was really surprised by that. I think it's was... one of the worst choices that was made in these movies. Honestly, yes. I still hate that scene so much. Me too. Me too. I love that movie, but I hate that scene. Right. There was. I, there were times where there was a bit too much of the the movie explanation, though. I, I agree with that. Um, and and in many ways, and I understand that, like this is this is for the casual fan, not necessarily for the diehard fan. But a lot of the stuff we had heard before, right? Like we had had heard like Yates was even on Mugglecast back in the day. He talked about this particular scene. Like there was nothing revolutionary about what he had to say. Maybe yeah. not for us. <laughs> <laughs> he came on our show once. And so this shouldn't have been in the reunion special. <laughs> no, but I mean, if I he, just, my, my point is if he said it on this show, he probably said it a thousand other times fair, in interviews. Fair. Yeah. But. And I also feel like. I'm sh- again, they probably shot at least an hour of interviews with every person involved in this. I know. And I'm sure he had many other things that they could have used talking about, you know, the final days on set, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, again, as unrealistic as it might be to expect they could get these actors back every year for a 20th anniversary, I guess I understand why they did just one encompassing all the films. But maybe next year they'll release more content from each of these interviews. <laughs> Maybe, like I said, return I, to return to Hogwarts. Or just release more, do a special on the movie, right? So twentieth of Chamber of Secrets, give us an hour long or ninety minute show on Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, behind the well, scenes. look, I think they'll look at the viewership numbers on this, and I'm sure they'll be massive. Maybe one mm-hmm. of the biggest successes for HBO Max so far, and that'll motivate them to come up with some more stuff and hopefully mm-hmm. a scripted series because I know that's what we're all really hoping for. Yeah. So there was one kind of final segment called A New Beginning, and there was a bunch of different things that were thrown into that. Um, it, it leads off with David Heyman doing these really kind of cute interviews on the first day with Dan, Emma, and Rupert. I thought that was kind of fun. Oh, yeah. That was great. And then there was a lot of sentimental talk. Uh, and this is where if you hadn't teared up prior, you definitely would. And it's not just because you get the one appearance by Ian Hart. Uh, it's because- I know, tearjerker. Oh my God. There's just yeah. a lot of really kind of sentimental moments um, with Dan, with Emma, with Rupert. And the one that definitely got me was Robbie Coltrane. Yeah, yeah, me too. Robbie said that I won't be around in 50 years time, but Hagrid's still well. And that's that's what got me. And Robbie was was tearing up himself. Mm-hmm. And I think he was the only adult actor to show that much emotion. And maybe, it also maybe made Gary me think comes close. It's, yeah. it's too bad that we didn't see Robbie and Dan have a one on one interview because obviously Hagrid is very much a father figure to Harry. So that would have been great to see those two. Talking. Oh, but that was that was what was so special to me about Emma and Robbie 
uh, mm-hmm. together when she talks about how hard it was filming the mud blood scene that he was oh, just that was great very that was amazing yeah that was so good um uh, so i guess wrapping up i was so surprised by how touching a lot of this was and it although some of the things you know we as diehard fans had heard before i think the new i don't know just going back to people retell stories but going back to sort of a through line with the age they are now with their emotional intelligence i thought it was amazing i thought this was really really good yeah i think i loved a lot of it i think there were impossible expectations to be met in Mm -hmm. some ways we all had our ideas of what this could be and of course they weren't going to be able to fulfill everybody's wants and needs um, but overall, I it was great. I was entertained throughout. I was moved throughout. I learned a lot. It was great to see some of the cast members together. One of my favorite moments was towards the end. Speaking of all this tearjerker stuff, Rupert and Emma do have that sit down. They do appear to be together because they hug. And one of the great moments that this was a laugh out loud moment for me was when Rupert said, I love you as a friend. <laughs> that Emma busted out (laughs) laughing and you know they just wanted to make that clear in case people started shipping them like apparently what's happening with uh, Tom and Emma (laughs) that pause was just incredible I know Rupert's (laughs) like I have a life partner I have a baby let's just put this out there and kidney stones and kidney stones yeah his his lines were the best Rupert do we want to talk before we get to favorite moments? Do we just want to talk about who was noticeably absent, kind of, sort of? So yeah. there was speculation: would J.K. Rowling show up or not? Uh, it had been reported she would show up in archival footage, and that is what ended up happening. They used some footage from 2019. It said it said it was shot in the studio tour, so I guess she shot that for the studio tour for one of their areas. But there was. An interesting, another interesting bit of info that came out. This is from the Los Angeles Times. It seems like she could have appeared in a new interview. Quote, an HBO spokesperson told the Times that Rowling was invited to do a new interview, but that producers felt the previously captured footage was adequate. HBO did not respond to requests for clarification as to whether Rowling declined the interview or filmed a new interview that producers then decided to leave out of the special. (laughs) So the Times said, wait, she was invited to do an interview. Did she actually do it? And HBO didn't reply. (laughs) So, So she either turned down the interview request or she did shoot a new interview. And they, and they decided not to include it because I wonder why it was it was the right call. Yeah. Whatever it was, because like it's safe to use the footage from before with a big old disclaimer in the upper right saying filmed in 2019. Man. But ultimately, I think this reunion special succeeded at, at being what it at becoming what it what it is, which is a showcase of the films. And so there's plenty of moments where Joe gets a shout out for creating the world, for the characters, the brilliance of writing. And those are all very tolerable. Um, And then the clips where she is used in archival footage are about like the casting and about bringing things together. So the reunion special is able to remain a testament to the creation of the films. And to rely that heavily on the book's author would distract from the purpose of this special, I think. I feel like they didn't shoot a new interview with her. 
Mm. I'm just going to guess that she turned it down for whatever reason, because if they did shoot an interview with her, they invited her. She said, yes, they shoot it. They have to include that. Just like they shot an interview with Ian Hart and they squeezed in a couple lines from him at the very end. Right. You got to share some of that new interview. Otherwise, she wasted her time and you don't want to waste her time. So I hope Ian Hart got a lot of money for appearing in this special. I really hope so. You know he has interesting things to say about the first film. You know he like he got a free trip to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park. Pick whichever (laughs) park you want, Ian. We'll send you there. Two tickets for your. Well, he talked about Alan Rickman, didn't he, in that brief moment? Uh, I think it was more of a. I remember it being. I was looking down at my notes, but I remember it being a more general set, like about how the magic of the films comes together and brings people together. Yeah, I blinked when he was on screen, so I missed it. (laughs) I didn't think he was going to show up after he did it in the right. Sorcerer's Stone segment. I kept asking. I'm like, wait, where was Ian Hart? Are they going to bring him in as like a villain's subplot? So, mm. oh, notable absences. Um, the- Michael Gannon. Sorry, the Umbridge actress. I'm, <laughs> oh, Imelda Staunton. Imelda Staunton. Imelda Staunton was, you know, and, and that would have been an amazing opportunity as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Emma David Thompson. Bradley. Emma Thompson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Yeah. Morris. I mean, look, it's a huge cast. Again, <laughs> it must have been a lot of work to film all this, to get all these people together. So I'm not surprised that some people are missing and that some yeah. people just barely if, appeared. If you think about it, they went through every film, but there are really notable cast members that are missing from each of these films. Like you just mentioned Imelda Staunton. What about Brendan Gleeson, Kenneth Branagh? Like, oh, yeah. That's how why do you I, include What's that? How do you include but, them? I mean- Yeah, how do you include it? I mean, look- we're currently at an hour 40 minutes discussing the reunion. The reunion was an hour 46. <laughs> this review is longer I, than I the reunion I have a feeling we're going to go past that hour 46, but Let's no, just prep I, our minds. I just, my point was going to be though, that is why you focus on Sorcerer's Stone because when you expand it to all eight films, people are going to expect to see familiar faces from all eight films. That's all. Yeah, I appreciate the way the discussion is headed for that point because if there is a special in five more years 10 more years what will that be on will they sort of breeze past the first couple films because we already kind of got the foundational what it was like um did they in some ways shoot themselves in the foot because they already covered all eight films you know are they now not able to do another reunion special covering the same ground it's going to be tough think of what would have been missing if it just focused on the the first movie you wouldn't have gary oldman you wouldn't have helena bonham carter but i don't want an hour of ian hart sorry <laughs> i do i want an hour of ian hart you know he has interesting things to say you wouldn't have ivana uh, the phelps twins don't appear well, as yeah, much i think you still could have people from the later films talking about how foundational the first film was maybe not so much as the people were actually on it but like you know for instance alfred enoch was there was in the scenes and yeah. not used for interviews at all and it's like well that well, would be chatted really a little bit with uh mm. tom and matt i yeah, do in like a group setting I do want to mention something small I noticed. I think I'm the first person to notice this. So I have an 85-inch TV. I I can see a lot. Wow. At 138.30, there's a shot of a crowd. It looks like during one of the Harry Potter movie premieres. And you see a couple fans in the front row wearing MuggleNet stickers. Whoa. And I knew immediately... That was MuggleNet stickers because we had so many of those MuggleNet <laughs> stickers back in the day. We had huge rolls of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, entire and, rolls. Yeah, I went back, I paused it, I looked again. It, two people at one thirty-eight thirty wearing MuggleNet stickers. 
I uh, saw I saw fans in a crowd with a sign that said like "Come to my prom" or something. I, I'll be honest. That's I was exactly looking, the, the shot. Actually. That's the shot. Okay. Yeah. Gonna... I was focused on the billboard, but can you yeah, get us okay, a screenshot, Andrew? I just pasted it in our Discord. Oh, okay. But you oh, see I the person in the black jacket and the red jacket. They're both wearing a. Mugan I was kind of. I was looking for people that we knew at the red carpet premiere, and I mean by like us. I was looking for some of us mm-hmm. at some point. But the, that's another thing that succeeded, and you know they have a ton of it. However, they sourced the uh, archival footage from news reels and like people standing at bookstores waiting to get the books. Like that stuff always interests me, and there's more to be told in in the realm of like what news anchors and they what interviews happened at the big Harry Potter events. I, I would want to see more of this. It, it was a nice touch. They did have a few moments, and I forget in which segments they were, where they did focus in on the fandom and talk about just how huge this series was, the the reach that it had. Uh, I forget, it, it may have been Robbie Coltrane who was talking about the impact that the series had in terms of just getting kids to read to pick up a book for the first time yeah otherwise wouldn't so i thought they probably could do a whole thing on the potter fan community but maybe we should create it (laughs) those are definitely muggle net stickers let's do it we'll get together with chloe and we'll combine our video footage of all of our coverages (laughs) all right famous moments andrew you started earlier favorite moments yeah, I, I said mine. We already talked about the other one I'd written down. Yeah, the Robbie's thing for me is is just uh, so vulnerable and so important. And I can't think of anything better than that. Um, I, I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but I loved when Tom and uh, Jason Isaacs, although they were not physically together, when they spoke about working together Um, particularly when Tom was reminiscing about working with Jason Isaacs, where he was like, oh, yeah, working with him was just such a treat. And then he was like, actually, it wasn't. He terrified me. Um, (laughs) The the comic timing there was so good. Um, But you can just tell that these two have a relationship, again, that has carried on past Potter. You certainly know this if you follow Tom Felton on TikTok because there's videos of them together. Um, But it's just very clear that Jason Isaacs was the perfect casting for Lucius, that he really leaned into the role and had a good time with it. And, um, you know, that Tom, you know, felt some level of mentorship from Jason Isaacs, even though he was like, when he was in character, he was absolutely terrifying, which I can see. So mm-hmm. I really like that. For me, these are moments uh, that we also mentioned already. The first was uh, Dan and Chris Columbus not having the heart to tell Richard Harris that Fox wasn't being played by a real bird. But <laughs> to your point, Laura, perhaps Richard Harris was just having uh, a go at them uh, as well. Uh, and then the story about how one of the Phillips twins broke Mike Newell's ribs. I just that I was found crazy. That, really funny. that was crazy. I did learn a lot during this reunion special. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's our primary discussion on the reunion special. There was so much. I'm sure we'll address some of uh, everything else that happened in the weeks and months and years ahead. How did it feel to start 2022 off with brand new Harry Potter content to talk about? Yeah, it's great. And now we're only a little over three months away from the release of Secrets of Dumbledore. No mention of that. I thought maybe like a little title card at the end. Secrets of Dumbledore coming soon. I think Mm -hmm. that's good, though. You don't want it to be too on the nose. (laughs) 
And little correction, the reunion special is one hour, 43 minutes and 57 seconds, including the credits. And this recording is currently 145, 146. So we are officially <laughs> longer. And we're keeping than everything. Andrew's not editing at all. <laughs> so if I you, wish. If you, uh, yeah, we should edit it to be the exact same runtime. So if, if, if you're disappointed the reunion wasn't longer, just listen to this episode. <laughs> Release that go. on social media. I, I will say for your favorite moments, uh, audience, you know, listeners, please write into us. Um, you know, we'll read that. That is a great call show. because next week is a mailbag episode. Oh, yes. perfect timing. Yeah. Send in your feedback, mugglecast at gmail.com, or you can use the contact form on mugglecast.com. Also call us. We love hearing you. one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. You can also record a voice memo using the app on your phone and send that to mugglecast at gmail.com. Just try to record in a quiet place and keep your message about a minute long, please. Not one hour, 43 minutes and 53 seconds, please. Eric and Micah, you got up to something in fandom, speaking of Mugglenet the other day. Yeah. Eric, you were the host, so why don't you... uh... (laughs) Well, yeah, so uh, Micah and I participated in uh, Fandom Feud, actually two games of Fandom Feud, kind of like Family Feud, as part of Fandom Games for Good, which is a charity event benefiting the Transgender Law Center. Um, contestants all won donations to charities supporting trans and LGBT youth of their choice. And it was actually just an amazing experience, about 90 minutes long, so shorter than this MuggleCast episode, shorter than the reunion special by about 13 minutes and 57 seconds. And you can go check out that video. It's on YouTube uh, and Facebook on MuggleNet's channel, but we'll put a link in the show notes as well. Actually, Micah, maybe you can speak to this, but I was so pleased with the rounds the questions the interactions because the contestants were all from across fandom yeah it was just a really great group of people from all different parts of the harry potter fandom coming together for a good cause we had a lot of fun Uh, i think that a lot of us were podcasters played a huge part in it because we were able to kind of riff on different things um i had a little bit of fun uh, at eric's expense from time to time you know you always got to needle the host a little bit um a little bit you enjoyed it uh but as i said for a really good cause and uh what i liked about it is that both teams won at least one game uh so it benefited not just times by stealing the other points from the other team so not just benefiting the transgender law center but benefiting the other two charities that were being played for by each of the teams individually so just really really uh great event and great cause. Yeah. If you want to see us having fun, check out the video. Great. Okay. It's time for Quizich. Last week's question, what is the street address for Weasley's Wizard Wheezes in the books? Well, I was surprised by the turnout because over 60 people got the correct answer, which was 93 Diagon Alley. And... Congratulations to some of those winners, including Julia and Avery, Crookshank's Taylor's version, Boots with the Fur, Ava Zimmerman, Amy Salinas, Lolo, Luna Lovegood, Pata, Ravenclaw Lupin 394, Raven Kit, The Evil Weevil, Jessly Hallow's Unclever Moniker, Wee, Weed, You Shall Not Pass, Dumbledore Said Calmly, and click this link for a cool video. Oh, that's just somebody's YouTube link. Awesome. Congrats, guys. <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to click that link ever because they asked me to. So next week's question. What is the name 
of Rupert Grint's Child. I'm surprised they didn't shout this out in the reunion special. <laughs> Submit your answer to us on the MuggleCast website, MuggleCast.com. Click on Quizich at the top in the menu, and uh, we'll read your answers uh, and your name if you got the correct answer on next week's episode. Spotify users, you can now review the show on Spotify. So if you load up the show in your Spotify app, you'll see a little starred rating system. Just give it a tap and then give us a review. It's not a written review. It's just a starred review. So it'll only take a second to do. We'd really appreciate that. A couple other reminders. Do follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you don't already, be sure to follow this show for free in your favorite podcast app. We release a new episode every Tuesday. Like we said, next week's episode will be a Muggle Mail episode. We'll get your feedback about the reunion special, and we'll discuss what else has been on our listeners' minds. All right, I think that does it for this week's episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Happy New Year again. Happy, Happy New, Year. New Year. We have a whole new year of MuggleCast episodes ahead of you, and we're so excited because this should be a big year for Harry Potter fans. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.